Welcome to the Freudian Slip, the Identity Theft Resource Center's podcast, where we talk about all things identity compromise, crime, and fraud that impact people and businesses. I'm James Lee, the COO of the ITRC, and it's that time of the year. I'm not talking about the time of gathering with friends and families to celebrate the holidays and traditions. No, I'm talking about something else that happens this time each year when otherwise normal business people turn into fortune tellers and they try to prognosticate the future. We stare at tea leaves. We toss some rune stones. Our magic eight balls get a workout and we confuse snow globes with crystal orbs that predict what's going to happen in 2022. We've done that around the ITRC campus, and joining us to talk about what to watch out for in the next 12 months is Jason Cradiville from Centilink, our newest member of the ITRC Board of Directors, along with the ITRC's own CEO, Eva Velasquez. Thanks to both of you for being here today. Well, thank you, James and Eva. Thrilled to be with you both and participate on this today. I am so excited for this conversation. I love to prognosticate and talk about what's going to happen. So I'm ready. It's been a year in the making, and we're going to start out by looking at how well we did last year when we went through this exercise, which is always a dangerous thing to decide if you actually were right or or close to it. So let's start with the prediction for 2021. Number one was key U.S. government resources dedicated to financial and identity crime victims have been eliminated. The ITRC believes the option for direct assistance will continue to decline in 2021. So Eva, what actually happened? We were pretty close on this one. Um, I can't say that there there were some minor tweaks that were made and um, it's still not a priority. So the the primary issue uh, remains the same and I don't see this increasing significantly Uh, next year. I'm hoping that we'll continue the work that we're doing uh, in 2022, and maybe we'll see some real significant movement in 2023. But unfortunately, I feel like um, victims that need direct assistance are still getting left out in the cold. Yeah, you know, Eva, I'd just add to that. I I think you're spot on. Um, Congress, not too long ago, passed a law um, doing what they think were some updates to the Victims of Crime Act. And you know, Congress is the type of body where once they've checked a box, they want to move on. So it's it's going to be a while before they're ready to go back and do anything comprehensive. So that's something that ITRC and our supporters need to continue to be engaged on. Yep, that was one of those minor tweaks. And I and I don't want to criticize it because it was a helpful activity, but it's still not enough. It's just not enough yet. I suspect we'll be talking about that here in a minute or two. I uh, so, think so. <laughs> so predict, I predict that we will talk about this further. Well, uh, I pre- want to ask you a question, James, because um, the one of our predictions was that cyber criminals will be relying less on consumers' personal information and more on consumer behaviors to commit identity-related crimes, making personal information less valuable and attractive to cyber criminals. And we believe this could be a long-term trend. So James, what do you think actually happened there? Okay, here's one where we were spot on. Um, The raw number of victims actually declined this year. Um, so even though we're, we're going to see, we're going to end the year with, a, with more data breaches, for example, but the number of people who were actually targeted and who became victims is down for 2021. And that's because the threat actors are being more targeted and they're being more strategic. 
Uh, they still want consumer data because that's that is the coin of the realm for them. But they're also using that information very differently, and they only want certain kinds of information. And they're what they're really doing is using those behaviors against us, our bad habits. And you see that in social engineering scams that, we, that we've talked about here in, in, in our other podcasts and on our website around Google Voice and ta- taking over social media accounts like Instagram. And we've seen all that increase this year. And they're really relying on these kind of psychological tactics rather than technical expertise to manipulate people and, and take advantage of their behaviors to then misuse their personal information. And, and yeah, I think that's with us. I think that's with us to stay. Oh, I think so too. Uh, I, this is anecdotal, but you know, I do a lot of public speaking and engagement with just, you, you know, your, your average folks on the street who just want to learn more about this. And boy, do they keep telling me the, the scams, the incoming uh, text messages, phone calls, social media, direct messages that are so targeted and feel so personal to them. Uh, they, they're just coming in droves. And I do think the social engineering is going to continue. I, I think we're at a new baseline, honestly. James, you, you mentioned Google Voice. Um, we actually did a, a deep forensic dive into a very, very significant identity theft ring that impacted a, I guess we could consider it a, a mid-sized financial institution. And you know, Google Voice, for listeners who may not be familiar, is a voice over internet protocol uh, type of phone service. It kind of rolls off the tongue. We call it VoIP. Um, And in the analysis that we performed of this identity theft ring that took place during the pandemic, two thirds of the victims whose identities were stolen, the fraudsters used VoIP phones to control the account when they were committing the identity theft. So that's an interesting thing that you bring up there. Yeah. All right. Prediction number three. What we said would happen was that the pandemic-related identity crimes would impact victims well into 2021, and that the re-victimization rates for identity crimes and compromises would, would rise too. So, Eva, what happened? This is one of those really hard situations because, as you know, I love being right. <laughs> um, and, boy, we had no idea how right we were, so it, it makes me happy that we were right, but sad that this is the state of affairs, because when we look at our data, we actually did see an increase in 2021, particularly of the the government benefit fraud. And, you know, we did say it would take years to resolve. I think it's going to be a decade before we unwind the actual impact. And I I think we're hitting a new new baseline here. Uh, You know, financial for many, many years has been the, the taking the top spot for the type of identity theft when we divide it into buckets. And now we're, we're looking at government two years in a row. I think it's quite possible um, that that trend will continue. And again, I love being right, but I'm, I'm very sad that this is <laughs> actually happening. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, you're right. It's, it's a sad state of affairs. I mean, the, the volume and velocity of identity theft being used to open, for example, just checking accounts strictly for the purposes of laundering just the mountains of cash that was that the governments were trying to get out the door as fast as possible was, was staggering. 
Um, I think going off the top of my head, I think we saw somewhere close to 170% increase in identity theft being cases specifically for the purpose of opening checking accounts, right? Not to get credit, not to get a loan, but to have that place where, whether it was UI funds, PPP funds could land and then very quickly be exfiltrated more often than not into a crypto locker somewhere. Um, but yeah, yeah un unfortunately you were dead on accurate with that one. Okay, the last prediction for 2021. So we still have a few more days to, you know, work on this one, but what we, <laughs> si what we said. Well, yeah, let me ask you this because I think you have a lot to say on this one, James. And, and what we said was the, the, we expect that privacy, cybersecurity and identity laws will continue to merge in a more holistic set of public policies, at least at the state level. And, and our evidence there was, uh, you know, California voters passed the Consumer Privacy Rights Act, affectionately known as CPRA. And, and it's one of the toughest privacy laws in the U.S., but we did actually see some other states stepping up. What, what actually happened there, James? That's a two thumbs up on this one. Um, we actually started with more than a dozen states considering uh, state privacy laws that, that don't, don't mirror exactly the CPRA because the California law is the toughest in the country, but uh, they're close and they, they do share the same principles. Uh, all of these states that passed them share the same principles as CPRA. So we also had now Colorado and Virginia uh, uh, pass laws, um, but we still, and like I say, there's still time this year, we have Massachusetts and Pennsylvania, which are still considering state privacy laws that look like they'll pass, probably won't pass before uh, the end of December, they'll pass in early um 2022. So I think we're going to, we're going to see that. And for the first time we've, we've, we've had, you know, probably uh, more attention paid to the discussion around a federal privacy law that was meaningful discussion than we've had in the last 15 years. And the ITRC was able to testify at that hearing. Um, but, you know, as, as Jason noted a minute ago, Congress is a different critter. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there, there's, there is often more, more heat than light. Um, so we'll have to see if, if, if uh, Congress actually gets in on the act as well, but that's uh, it, it was a good year for, if you're fans of privacy and you're, you're fans of protecting cybersecurity. Uh, and, and I think you're going to see that continue. So I'll, right. offer, I'll offer a couple thoughts on the federal landscape. If for, for those of you who are familiar, I know James and Eva, you both are, Congress hasn't been able to do something as relatively simple as pass a National Data Breach Notification Act since they first started considering this issue back in 2003. Privacy arguably is, is a bigger nut to crack than even something like a consistent uniform data breach notification standard. So I think the key takeaway for me is it's going to be hard to do that. And, you know, just like in data breach notification issues, you know, the, 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 the devil's in the details. Um, and in this case, it's the same two details that have bedeviled data breach notification that's also hanging up privacy. What, all right, pop quiz. What do you think those two big issues are that Congress just can't resolve? Are we in a race? James, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah, can I hit my buzzer? Private right of action and federal preemption. 
Bingo. Yes. Preemption <laughs> and enforcement. You've got that exactly right. Um, what happens to the state laws? Um, you know, uh, you're, as you just described, states are being active and, you know, many folks, regardless of your political persuasion, tend to be per protective of what your states have done. Um, even on an issue like this, where many argue, look, the state action necessitates federal action, but that is a very hard riddle to solve. And, you know, at private right of action, again, what role do consumers have to litigate? What role do state attorneys general have to take action against entities that violate privacy laws? Those two tend to be the main wrenches in the spokes of federal action. And will continue to be for the rest of our lifetimes. Um, Is that another prediction, James? That, that's, that, that, uh, there, yeah, that's a bonus. That's a I bonus. Predict, I, I predict that more testimony is in your future, ICRC. <laughs> uh, 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 no. Uh, okay. Let's, 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 let, okay, so that's how, that, that's our scorecard. Now, now, mm -hmm. let's, now let's look at what's going to happen in 2022, and I'll start. Um, prediction number one, the shift from identity theft, which is where, where, where people steal personal information to identity fraud, which is when they use what they've stolen will accelerate. So more identity fraud this coming year. And that means that we're going to have to come up with some new ways of protecting data and protecting individuals than what we have today, whether that's changing our habits or maybe there's some outright new tools that, that could be coming online, but more fraud in 2022. That's my, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. I have few comments to say on that because I think it's inevitable and it, the data, you know, spells it out for us. Well, it's like, it's like my buddy Doug always says, it's always good to be for what's going to happen. <laughs> Well, I can jump into my, my next prediction and, you know, th this goes into the, the social engineering um, and the increase in identity fraud that you just predicted. And I, I believe that consumer behaviors are going to change dramatically. Now, how dramatically, this is, this is where I'm a little undecided, but um, I think that we're going to see uh, a level of withdrawal from certain interactions. We've seen the, you know, wide adoption in some areas um, and, you know, online transactions, um, more of the, the non-traditional payments, which I know we're going to get into a little bit more in a few minutes, but I'm, I am a little concerned that, that the things like the, the continued sophistication of phishing attacks and just the sheer volume that, that individuals are getting on a daily basis is going to make them rethink how they behave. Now, to what degree, I'm still not sure. I think it's quite possible. We keep talking about the great resignation. There may be the great disengagement. That may be a bridge too far, but I think we're going to see some of that in, in 2022. I'll, I'll jump in quickly on this because I do think that this uh, is one where we'll, we may see incremental change at first, but a, one or two big events that disrupt, say, you know, online commerce or, or other forms of common interactions. And I do think you could see some, some significant behavioral changes because the, the, the phishing attacks and the business email compromise attacks, which are, which are you know, a business version of phishing, 
are so good now. The websites and the tools to build these fake websites are so cheap. There's the, the output is, is almost letter perfect. It's not like the old days when you had people misspelling bank of America with two A's in bank. Um, uh, you have to have a pretty sharp eye and even trained professionals are falling for, uh, these, this next generation of phishing attacks that could have uh, an effect on, on individuals who are kind of tentative on this whole online commerce thing anyway, you know, yep. they're, they're not real settled on this internet, you know, are the interwebs actually got to turn out to be okay. Uh, this could be the thing that really makes them change. And that's a, that's a real shame because that is a primary way people interact and communicate today. Well, and just to follow up on that, that's, that's the piece, you know, again, I talk to the public on a regular basis and so many of them are, it's the throwing their hands up going, I can't keep up. I don't know what to do. So rather than make attempts and try it's, I'm just, I'm just not going to do this. I'm not going to live my life this way. And that's the, that's where I don't know how much of that is going to, to happen. Okay, and I'm going to belabor this one one second more, uh, just because it's thought entered my head. See, Jason, we told you <laughs> we, told, we could yeah we can talk forever, um, and that Give is the orchestra. Yeah, one thing that that would be a positive of this is if people even 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 if all they did was pause just a second to think about should I really post this on social media or should I adjust who sees what I post on social media? So it's only people I know and trust. If we, if, if the effect of the, what we've just talked about does prompt people to say, Hmm, maybe I shouldn't put that out there because we know that cyber criminals look to social media sites for information that they used to steal. They don't have to steal it anymore. You're putting it out publicly. <laughs> So that right. can be used to create synthetic identities, uh, foreshadowing there, Jason. Um, uh, but you know, that would be a positive effect if people do stop and think before they post stuff on social media. That's so unusual for you. I'm usually the Pollyanna looking for the silver lining. I'm so proud of you, James. It I'm ha- rubbing off on you. It happens <laughs> twice a year, you know, stop clocks, you know, <laughs> that, that sort of thing. All right. Jason, I know you have a prediction around synthetic identity. I do. And so, you know, it it takes two to tango, right? And you guys have just been describing how consumer behavior is likely to change. Well, guess who other guess who else's behavior is likely to change? The people looking to commit the fraud, right? This isn't static. They're not just sitting around hoping for the best. They're going to adapt and evolve um, just, you know, in pace and likely ahead of whether it's consumers trying to be proactive or, you know, businesses and those looking to protect consumers' identities trying to stay at pace with the fraudsters. James, you mentioned synthetic identity fraud. Um, you know, especially with children, I think this is, is only going to continue to, to be a problem. Um, yeah, synthetic identity fraud, in contrast to what I'm making air quotes, traditional identity theft, it's a long game, right? ID theft is kind of smash and grab. I've got valid credentials quick. How can I maximize their value? Um, Synthetic fraud takes more time, more patience, arguably a little bit more work, but the opportunity is still there for a big payout. 
And, you know, coming online for uh, financial institutions this year uh, en masse is a, a new tool that the Social Security Administration has been developing. It's just a beautiful acronym, the ECBSV, which stands for the Electronic Consent-Based Social Security Number Verification Service. So what does that mean? Well, it allows a financial institution to validate in real time whether a given name, date of birth, and social security number are a match with what SSA has on file which is an extremely valuable tool in cutting down on synthetic identity fraud. But you have to ask yourself, what's gonna happen in the run-up to the widespread use of ECBSV? Well, you know, there's the old analogy about, uh, you know, fraud is like a balloon, you squeeze it one end, it's gotta move somewhere. And uh, wouldn't be surprised if we see increases in cases of synthetic identity fraud um, and other types of, of scams that, you know, will be harder to pull off once ECBSV is, is utilized throughout the industry. And that's gonna take time too. Um, and that's why I think making the prediction that we're going to see increased identity fraud, um, you know, evolutions of that that require, you know, taking advantage of, of credit repair scams to wash off delinquent trade lines uh, from a person's credit report or from a synthetic identity credit report. I think all of these things are only gonna pick up steam and it's gonna take a lot more effort um, changes in for whether that's consumer behavior to changes in industry's behavior to get a top of, get on top of and identify and stop these trends. So Eva, uh, here's your, here's your chance to talk about pandemic again. I know, I know I'm like a broken record, but I, I do think that we've already talked about the ripple effects of pandemic related fraud continuing. And we do think it's going to be ongoing. But one of the things that I'm particularly concerned about is the at the state level and, and the other forms of benefits uh, and and what's going to emerge. Now, the the bad actors had some great successes in 2020 and this year. And as you know, they, when they find something that works, they will continue to try to exploit it. And if we look at, let's just look at unemployment identity fraud. Uh, it's always been around and we've always had a handful of cases that, that would come in year over year. So the baseline wasn't zero, but it was very, very low. And, and even with the expiration of the enhanced benefits, I think that baseline is going to be much higher. I think we will continue to see um, unemployment identity fraud at a much higher baseline uh, throughout into the future uh, than we did prior to the pandemic. And it makes me, I, I'm concerned that at the state level, what other forms of benefits, uh, benefit fraud is going to emerge. I think we're going to see it. Now, I don't know if it's going to go into, into the state tax um, that's been an issue in the past. It remains an issue, but there've been some things that have been done to address it, but maybe that will, to Jason's, uh, analogy about squeezing the balloon, uh, as we focus on simply on unemployment at the state level, uh, and we relax the focus on some of these other benefit programs, is that where the fraud's going to go? And I think, yes. And I dropped the mic and you guys have nothing else to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll move on. Uh, here's another prediction uh, that uh, I, I've been I've been paying a lot of attention to this year, and that is what it, what are the root causes of data breaches? Because data breaches are the fuel for most identity fraud today. Um, and you know, for the last several years, you know, it, it, phishing has been far and away the number one 
uh, root cause and uh, wasn't um, there wasn't anything any close. However, we've now seen ransomware as a root cause of data breaches doubling every year. If that happens again in 2022, it will surpass phishing as the number one cause of a data breach, which again is the fuel for identity fraud. And um, that's a significant, that's a significant change because, uh, you know, phishing has been around for a long time, but ransomware at scale has only been around since about the third or fourth quarter of 2018. So, you know, it's just uh, in, in, in identity theft years, that's just like last week. So uh, that having that kind of a, of, a, of a rise in a particular form of attack is, is quite, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting intellectually, but it's very troubling because ransomware is hard to prevent. It's impossible for a consumer to prevent. Uh, and it's, it's hard to protect against the impacts of it as well. So that's, that, that's, that's something we've got to watch very, very closely. On the flip side, uh, if there is some good news, and that is what we traditionally think of, and this is back to uh, Jason's air quotes, the traditional forms of malware attacks and things of that nature are pretty static now. They, they, don't, they, they vary a little bit up and down one year over the next, but those are in our rear view mirror in, in a lot of respects because the technology has gotten better. The protective tools are better. So you just don't see as much of that as you used to. So now what we really have to worry about are things like phishing and ransomware. Eva, another one of your favorites, and that is this, this um, shift towards digital payment for different digital payment forms, both as a way of conducting crime and as a way of evading crime, evading detection. I have become really fascinated with uh, the, the uh, I'm using air quotes just like you guys, the non-traditional um, forms of payment and, and, and the scammers leveraging those. And if the FTC has great data on the, the types of fraud um, payments and, and what's number one and credit cards are still in that top spot. And I don't think they're going to, that's going to go away anytime soon. But as you look at the, the second, third, fourth, fifth, all the way through the seventh, they get much closer. And when we also look at the adoption of these payment platform, you know, Venmo in particular, there was so much of that. So many new users came on, they set up accounts. I think that the payment apps and services, it's going to surpass one of the favorites of the, the cyber criminals, and that's gift cards. And the reason is it's easier. It actually doesn't require making their target go to a physical location and purchase gift cards. It, if they already have one of these accounts set up, they can use those social engineering tactics and get them to just send the money that way. So I definitely think we're going to see a big rise in that form of payment for fraudulent activities. And I also think cryptocurrency could surpass bank transfers and, and maybe even wire transfers as another top form of fraudulent payments. The FBI just put out a warning um, because they're seeing a, a sharp increase in the use of the crypto ATMs and the scammers leveraging those, getting people to go to those ATMs and 
open those accounts because you can oftentimes do it right at that terminal. So I think the way that the, the, the fraudulent money is obtained by the cyber criminals and the, and the thieves in general is going to change dramatically next year. I'll, I'll chime in on that, Eva. And I think your point about alternative digital payment forms is, is a good one because, you know, what you described with Venmo and others is the you know, evolution and, and, and re- relatively recent introduction of, of real-time payment infrastructure and systems. And one aspect of that, while yes, yeah, sure, boy, the convenience for so many different types of you know, P2P transactions, it's great, right? I mean, all the features that Venmo and, and others have rolled out with splitting bills and just you know, getting money right into a friend's checking account. What folks don't understand about that, and this was a controversial aspect of when the Federal Reserve was, was considering building a real-time payments uh, system, it's the finality of those transactions, right? I mean, credit cards, Indeed. credit Indeed. cards, you, I mean, we, we're all pretty comfortable as consumers knowing that if a weird charge appears on our credit card bill, well, it's pretty easy nowadays to dispute that charge and say, hey, I did not make that charge. It gets, you know, reversed very quickly. You don't have any liability. You go about your business relatively pain-free. Man, you know, real-time payments, P2P, that's final. When that cash goes, whether it's because you intended it to leave or whether somebody scammed you into sending those funds or got control of your account, it is very, very challenging to get those funds back. And we tell consumers, that's been part of our education, is that you must treat this like cash because I would, I would posit that it's not very challenging. It's impossible. It's, it's gone. You, you aren't going to get that, that money back. And again, that makes it very appealing to the scammers. Right. I have a t-shirt that talks about all the things that will happen in 50 years. And the main point of it's a pie, it's a pie graph. And the biggest piece of the pie is in 50 years, no one will still understand blockchain. So so our last prediction, other than in 50 years, nobody will understand blockchain. Our last prediction involves re-victimization rates. And the official position of the ITRC is those will continue to increase. But we're also going to be looking at a new chain of victimization. So Eva, here's your shot. Well, it what it does is dovetail into all the other predictions that we've just talked about. And if we look at our revictimization rates historically in our, in our previous consumer aftermath report, we had a 21% revictimization rate in the newest one that we just released this year, it was 29%. So 29% of folks who were, were talking to us about a, an identity crime issue and needed help with resolution also told us, hey, this isn't the first time. This happened to me before. And as we look at social engineering, this shift in uh, the payment transactions and the use of the, the payment apps, I think that we are going to see a chain of victimization. We're going to see a single event that impacts one individual is then going to go on and on and on. So let's use social media account takeover um, as an example. Once the initial account is, is taken over by the threat actor and that victim is, is scammed, what, and, and there's so many different ways, I won't go into all the details, but they have lost 
money, perhaps had some reputational damage. They've certainly lost access to their account. They then leverage the followers of that person and start the scams all over again. And then they get, they are able to take over an account of one of those followers and then they leverage those followers. So it just goes on and on and on. And that is going to, um, I think that's going to make consumer behavior play, have to play an even stronger role because of all the social engineering behind it. And, and I, it, it troubles me greatly that we can increase from a 29% revictimization rate, but I don't think we're going to go down yet. We, there, there's too many other factors at play. That was such a, such a sad note to end the predictions on. <laughs> well, here, here, here's a happy note. Here's a happy note. We're going to come back here this same time next year, and we're going to look at these and we're going to say, which ones did we hit? And which ones did we miss? And so let's all agree right now. Let's shake hands and say that we'll be back next year to talk about it. That Agreed. Yeah. All, all right. Well, so Eva, Jason, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you both so much for having me. I'm just thrilled to be a part of this organization and support what, what we're all doing together here. Uh, and it was my pleasure as always. Thank you, gentlemen, both of you for this conversation. And you can learn more about the scams that impact your identity, privacy, or security, or get help if you've been the victim of an identity crime by visiting the ITRC's website at idtheftcenter.org. We're taking the rest of the year off, and but we'll be back in January with season three of the Weekly Breach Breakdown and the Fraudian Slip podcasts. Once more, thanks to each of you who listen to our podcast and who come to the ITRC for support and information. From all of us at the ITRC, we wish you the happiest of holiday seasons with your friends and loved ones and a safe, prosperous, and secure 2022. Thanks for listening.